Good afternoon. Today I have a slightly different interview with the lovely Adrian and Rebecca. I shall let them introduce themselves and tell us a little bit about themselves. I'll go first. You I? go first, All yeah. Right. Well, I'm Adrian Hobart, I'm one half of Hobart Books, so I provide the Ho. And uh, we are publishers of, well, we know the genres, um, thrillers, <laughs> mysteries, crime and suspense. And we've been doing this for... Uh, approaching two years, I guess. Uh, our first book came out only l- l- July. Yeah, July 20. 20. <laughs> yes, July That's 2020. Right. Um, and previous to uh, taking up publishing, I was involved in broadcasting. I was a, uh, a manager and a broadcaster at the BBC. So uh, this is a bit of a departure for me, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> and I'm the Beck. Um, so my name, my name is Rebecca Collins, hence the Beck. Ho, Beck. Um, and uh, I'm the other half. And um, here is our lovely logo, our cat, which is uh, inspired by a real cat who's asleep somewhere right now. Um, before I embarked on Hobeck, I worked in publishing uh, for over 20 years, but it was all non-fiction. So this was a departure for me because I'd never been in the world of make-believe before. <laughs> and make-believe with killing as well. <laughs> Um, and I know a little bit about your story of how you got together, but do you want to tell everyone? What, the romantic one? Yeah, it's sweet. Okay, let's hope my ex-wife isn't listening. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Rebecca and I knew each other at university. And when I say we knew each other, we had a couple of snogs um, when we were in our final year at university. And uh, although I wrote her a letter about three four months after we'd left, um, she never replied. No. We kept the very vaguest of touch uh, on Friends Reunited and, and, and Facebook until nearly 25 years later. Um, we started messaging each other on Facebook uh, in greater earnest. And um, within a matter of three weeks, we were deciding that we wanted to spend our lives together. Yeah. I mean, it, it was part of the clincher was that you said you wanted to be a writer. Yes. And yes. that he needed an editor. So I said, oh, you've come to the right person. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a literary thing that, that sort of spurred us on. And um, I started writing for Rebecca, wrote her a short story uh, based in Manchester and uh, started writing a children's book for her son, who Toby, who's now turned 12, but was only eight at the time. Um, I was trying to woo her through words. And, uh, <laughs> it worked. It works. And so, yeah, I mean, we've been, uh, we've been Hobart for two years and... We've been um, together for three, so four actually. Well, <laughs> three and a half. So yeah, we're, we're still. Yeah, up. it's gone really quickly. I think that's why he thought it was only three. It's gone. It's gone so, incredibly quickly. There's like ten. <laughs> How rude! <laughs> I wouldn't advise that, Adrian, especially when you're locked in a soundproof booth. Not that's smart. True. No one can hear me scream. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Any weapons? <laughs> <laughs> Except my caustic wit. <laughs> And how and why did Hobbit come about? Good question. Oh, that's a very good question. I mean, it, it, like Adrian said, it sparked off from his writing, and you were going to, you were sort of thinking about self publishing at the time, yeah. weren't you? Yeah. No, I started investigating 
the phenomena of independent publishing and self-publishing and um uh i'd already sort of start, started dabbling in that world anyway through narration um so before i left the bbc i, I built a very rudimentary studio and started narrating and started meeting authors that way and and digging into the into the whole phenomena of independent publishing how successful people were were be were beginning to be doing it um and then i stumbled across a podcast which uh was the main guest was jasper joffe of joffe books who are powerhouses in this world in the uk particularly selling um because you know i think they've just sold their 10 millionth book and so um i turned to rebecca said well with your knowledge um uh of the industry and my passion um for you know getting something out there we we created the the company and it just seemed to make sense that we, we'd follow you know other people have done it why why can't we yeah and, and for quite a while it was it we started off as an idea uh we did do we did put a lot of thought into it before we actually embarked on it didn't we so mm. sort of bubbling around for i'd say about 12 months actually yeah, but I, I suppose we really broke cover in September 2019. We went to Morecambe and Vice Crime Festival with our business cards, some leaflets. <laughs> An enthusiasm. Uh, a, a brand new website and the logo, which um, we're very proud of, that, you know, the, the, the cat reading the book and there's whiskers and all that thing, um, which is, uh, you know, people, a, lot, a lot of people comment on. So we got some things right, but then we turned up trying to find authors. And um, and we're, we're, we're actually both quite shy as well. So we were there at Morecambe and Vice, yeah. weren't we? Sat together and thinking, how do we find people who write books? <laughs> we're surrounded by them, but how do we, bro- how do we approach them? It, it seemed impenetrable. <laughs> um, but by luck, um, Adam Croft was doing his podcast there. And Robert Dawes, his you know, uh, usual partner, wasn't able to be there for family reasons. And so I ended up presenting the podcast with him on stage, live in front of the audience. And in that audience was one of our future authors, Anthony Dunford, who went back to his course at UEA, the Crime Writing Masters, uh, and said to his, his colleagues there, he said, uh, oh, I've just seen this really, you know, the startup company, they sound really interesting. I, you know, thought they were great. And so you know, other authors have followed from that stage. Yeah, because uh, he spoke to Wendy Turbin because they were on the same course together. And so when Anthony and Wendy, Wendy, <laughs> Anthony and Wendy independently submitted without knowing the other was, and both said, "Well, Anthony said I've been at Morecambe Advice, and Wendy said my friend who went to Morecambe Advice and heard about you." And so they, yeah, yeah, yeah sort of stemmed from that, and it sort of spread. And I mean, of course, having Robert Dawes as our sort of um, flagship author, yeah. <laughs> this helps massively because he's lovely, he's well known, he's very talented, and. It was an instant when he said he wanted to sign up for us, which was a shock to us because it's Robert Dawes, you know. Um, <laughs> it, it really accelerated the whole process because suddenly we're credible. Our first signing made us credible. Mm. Um, as simple as that. People, oh, well, if Robert Dawes is prepared to go with them, then other people, you know. And and now we're just at that stage where we're kind of keeping the having to keep the drawbridge up because there's just so many people who, who are interested in working with us. Uh, which is a happy position, given that two years ago we couldn't find it. We thought we wouldn't find it. Yeah, it's kind of the, yeah. It's, that's the irony that that very first festival we went to, we were we were brainstorming how to find authors, and now now we're fighting them off. It, yeah, yeah, it's lovely when people say, "I've heard about you. I want to work with you," and I think, "Ooh, 
That's so sweet. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Probably doesn't help that I recommend you to most authors that are looking for a new publisher. I'm like, yeah, go to Obey. They'll, oh, they'll teach you. That's lovely. Yeah. yeah. And I, I know Joe Singleton has as well. He's recommended a couple of people to us as well. So yeah. No, no, it's, it's lovely. It's it is. It's lovely. Long may that be the case. But, you know, <laughs> that's what we're working to sort of fulfil the promise, I suppose. Because um, you know, it's it's easy to say the sort of things we do, and, and you know, we do approach publishing in a different way to a lot of others in terms of the relationship with the authors. Um, I think that we're we're as you know more engaged than most. Let's put it that way, and more accessible than most. Um, but that's a lot of work, you know. Being able to answer queries and phone calls and emails and whatever else, uh, well, Bex does most of this, and when they come in, uh, we try and react as quickly as possible. You know, we don't let, leave things dangling too long. Um, whereas many publishers would say, oh, well, I'll get around to that in a couple of weeks' time. You know, mm. it's not the way we operate. No, I do try and, you know, I it's, sort of, it's, it's more for me, actually, that I, I try and deal with things. So they're not dwelling in my head as well. Yeah. Yeah, I think that stands out. And you actually go and visit your authors in person, which I think is probably unique to publishers. I don't think I've seen anyone else that does that. Yeah. And we give them a mug as well, don't we? Yeah, the mug's important. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, well, the, the prototype, the original one. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's, well, it's very hard to have a proper creative relationship without actually looking somebody in the eye. Um, it's the truth of it. I mean, we obviously during the pandemic, it was difficult when there were those little windows where things lifted a bit last year and we got, a, we went straight into the car and, and <laughs> got around as many as we could. Um, and we've continued to do that. There's a few we haven't yet met in person. And Sorry, Lewis. We're not, we haven't been to New Zealand yet. <laughs> no, that's the trickiest. But, um, uh, you know, we haven't seen Sue Shepherd or Brian Price in person yet or um, Terry Nixon. So a trip to the southwest is, is yes, and the south coast is, is needed. It uh, helps if they live by the sea, actually. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're very easily influenced to make a move if, uh, if someone's by the sea, which a lot of authors seem to be. Um, I think I think it's important. Um, we feel it's important that, yeah, we, we meet people. They get to see the reality of who we are and uh, that's the other thing is that you can do the sort of shop window pitch on Zoom when you're first talking to an author. I mean, obviously, anyone who's having a you know discussion about signing for a publisher, it's a very exciting time. Um, and the danger, we're always very conscious of this, is over-promising. Um, and the, the reality is, is that within those two years since we started this, the, the scene has changed considerably. It's a lot harder now to generate sales um through facebook uh and amazon ads and all those things because the traditional publishers woke up to the power of these media um, which they hadn't before they relied on bricks and mortar sales mm. and when the shop shut they suddenly realized they had to push harder online and so they've cut their prices accordingly a lot of the time you know you get these top books for 99p now um which would have been unheard of before the pandemic and they're also um, using all their marketing muscle digitally mm. so suddenly everything's got really expensive um, and it's 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 hard to 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 really drive sales profitably at the moment so um, we're not alone in, in sort of looking at ourselves and going this is tougher than we we were expecting and I think a lot of uh, independent publishers are going public now and saying how much they're struggling so 
um, you know, it's by no means easy. So when you're speaking to an author afresh, obviously when everyone hopes, well, we believe in the book, we believe in them. We hope that the audience out there, the readers will, will find it and will, will love it and buy it and recommend it to their friends and everything will take off. But we have to be realistic. It's taking a lot longer and it's a lot harder slog now than it might have been if we'd started this four years ago, say. And how many authors do you have on the books at the minute? Oh, that's a good question. 17, isn't so it? So is this, a, yeah, I believe it's 17. Yeah, yes. no, we know it's 17. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got 17 at the minute and um, we've been working, we, we opened submissions again in September and we're hit by a tsunami, yeah, so... tsunami of electronic. But um, the quality, incredible. incredible quality. So we, we have some sort of serious thinking to do, don't we? But because yeah. yeah, we'd like to have um, sort of three or four more. Um, yeah. Shortly, but we we <laughs> it's going to be difficult. We, we, we simply, I mean, it's you know, obviously can't give out names, but these are people are established writers, and um, we can't. Uh, some of them anyway some of them are new as well very fresh and wonderful talent mm. but some of them have been writing for 30 years and they're coming to us and uh you know it's quite daunting really looking at the, the quality of the, the submissions so at the moment we haven't even finished reading the slush power yet um you know it, we keep saying to each other every week we go right this week we're gonna, slay it. <laughs> we're gonna get that done and then we ask for full manuscripts for those we want to work, we might want to work with. And um, yeah, so we've got lots of reading to do, haven't we? Poor Christmas. Well, I, mean, the is, I mean, I read at the speed that I did when I was five years old with, with a finger <laughs> running along the line. You know, I'm, I'm incredible. I am the slowest reader um, in publishing, probably. I'm a bit faster than you, but I just, I just, I'm just, it's finding the time. It's a... Yeah. Yeah, it, it's hard. It's hard. I do. I read in the bath. I read in queues. I read while yeah. I'm waiting for the children. You read in the queue at the darts. We're at the darts, <laughs> and there are coach loads of people dressed as, um, you know, the Incredibles, nuns, uh, you know, Batman characters, all that sort of stuff. You know, um, mad hair and all sorts. Very yeah, yeah, crazy, yeah. wonderful people. Right, right, crazy, wonderful people. Very excitable, isn't that? Weren't they? It's the queue with the biggest load of people smoking I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Um, in this current day and age and uh, you're there with a cap copy of Sally Rooney which uh, wasn't even a Hobbit book reading but... in the middle of a cheap <laughs> I didn't know where to put myself so he took a photo of me and put it on Twitter instead <laughs> I saw that well what else are you going to do in a queue I mean there's nothing else to do is there so it's, it's time management that's what it is <laughs> <laughs> We always have books in the toilet as well because there's another good place well, to doesn't? read. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I'm deeply suspicious of anybody who doesn't have a book in the toilet. Oh, I am too. If you go to someone's house and it's immaculate with no books, and the only thing you can read is the Domestos bottle. <laughs> I think we have books in our toilet. Good, good. But then, good. yeah, it's. A I mean, that's break. my only my only break from reading. Usually, is when I get out to pee and then I go back. Exactly. To that's literally yeah. it. I no, I mean, my pain is in our toilet at the moment. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's fixing the S bend. Um, yeah. He might, he might I, come I, in. I don't know who's done this, but. 
Uh, who else would we have in our toilet except for Michael Caine? Well, we've got, we've got <laughs> um, in, in the upstairs one, we've got Sean Williamson, who played Barry in EastEnders. So we've got his book on quizzing, which I absolutely adored. And I've uh, actually interviewed Sean Williamson, would you know? All right, show off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure which bigger honour it was for him or for you. Oh, he was he was <laughs> starstruck. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a brilliant book. And 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 he's um uh I know his image is sort of uh I don't know. It's one of those which um it, it belies the man because he's really incredibly bright and um yeah because in eastenders actually. he was a bit sort of flary yeah, was wasn't he and a bit dim a bit dim yeah it was stumbling into <laughs> especially problems. when it came to his evil women yeah <laughs> well, but isn't he like one of the most successful pointless contestants ever he's won yeah three times yeah. or something so, that's yeah. correct you're absolutely right he's won umpteen finals and he beat the chasers um he's won the chase for charity uh, and he was uh, he takes part in the quizzing Grand Prix, uh, which uh, the top 150 quizzes in the UK take part in this. It's kind of an invitational thing. And um, he's come, I think, as high as 57. Uh, so he's up against the eggheads and all those sort of people and the, all the people in the chase. All the chasers are, uh, take part in this quiz. So if you're in a quiz and they ask you what what ranking did Sean Williamson come, you wouldn't just like uh, that. Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. I've I've got a mind like his in the sense that I pick up little bits of information and when I'm in a quiz situation, I can suddenly pull it out and you know. He figure, does. Figure he, he's a good it. quiz partner. Yeah. We were in uh, Cornwall, weren't we? Local yeah. pub. And he was brilliant. Whereas I'm sat there going, oh, I know it. I know it. Oh, it's so-and-so thingy jobs. <laughs> I think one of well, my you need to be. Sorry, you need no to one. come to the Harrogate quiz next time then. We were rubbish. Yeah, it looked like it was a bit of a fix, <laughs> so the actual authors always win it. But, um... <laughs> well, they do like um, non-authors and then an authors. So the authors team that was run by <clears throat> Richard Osman. Yeah. They got like 48 out of 55 or something. <clears throat> and the non-author's got about 12. It was so <laughs> Right, right. Well, he's, he's kind of a special case, isn't he? Yeah, I was anyway, going to say. He's... <laughs> uh, but um, no, it's interesting. I took my nephews when they were quite a lot younger. Um, they must have been about 14 and 12. We went to a local quiz in our village, my old village. And uh, it was a, it's a really serious quiz because the village um, has a lot of people live, uh, living in it who either taught or do teach at Manchester University. And so uh, it's, you know, it's pretty hardcore. So I'm sat there with these two teenage lads or, you know, one, one not quite a teenager. And between the three of us, we smashed these teams <laughs> of six and seven. We, we won it by a mile. And they just thought, they just literally, we actually got around a, a, a standing ovation. Oh, that's quite cool. Uh, but then, you know, I ought to point out that Thomas is now, the, the older one is at Trinity College. Yeah, so you, they may have been young, but they had good heads on them. Yeah, yeah, they were super <laughs> mega bright. Uh, but yeah, I think it was, that, was a, that, was a, that was a day. Mm. That really was, yeah. That's awesome, yeah. I pick up all my random facts from QI. If it's not been on QI, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know... It's a fascinating world of facts, isn't it? Yeah. And I live with three people who absolutely love random facts. So two of my boys, they're the same as you, aren't they? They just absorb information. It's like living with three Googles. <laughs> In fact, my, my oldest son, when he was at primary school, his nickname was Wiki Luke. Was it? Yeah. And the other one was called, Toby, you're a walking dictionary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
<laughs> we were called out by two kids in a Greg's queue, wasn't he? And said, oh, it's Toby, the walking dictionary. <laughs> I'm not sure if it was meant affectionately or not. <laughs> I mean, you don't want to shorten dictionary, do you? Stop it. Uh, okay, fair yeah, we'll work that one out for ourselves. Um, so why did you decide to stick to the four genres that you have? Yeah, I think we ask ourselves that same question sometimes. <laughs> well, it's kind of strange, isn't it? Because I didn't used to read crime particularly. I I, I read lots of different things and lots of quirky fiction, mm. but mm. I wasn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call myself a fan of crime fiction. Or... And I actually wasn't much of a reader, really. I mean, I, I'm a surfer of everything, you know, culturally, but I never sat down and read books. Uh, to you know, I might read, I might get through 10 a year, certainly not the sort of levels I'm doing now. Um, but I love thrillers without mm. question, I love thrillers. Um, but you know, we pick those genres because they're you know, they're established favorites, aren't they? I mean, crime in, in certainly the UK is the number one genre, certainly, uh, you know, in terms of what the bookshops promote and sell, it's it, it, it does everything, you know, nothing comes close. Privately, of course, romance is obviously very strong, but I just didn't see, you know, you or I being able to run the rule over romance books successfully. Yeah, it didn't. I didn't have the. I didn't have the same sort of pull towards something like romance. I definitely felt a, a almost a challenge with the crime and mystery genres. Um, yeah, and I have come to love it as well, especially psychological thrillers. Yeah. So I've read quite a lot since, and I've my reading habits have changed. Yeah. So, and I suppose I, I'd narrated quite a few crime books, and um, so I was familiar with the genre, the way it was was going, um, and what was popular at that time. Uh, so, and indeed thrillers. So it's, uh, yeah, I felt like the, the in, in in a way the natural fit, and and also because you know I've been <laughs> dabbling with my own writing, but got nowhere because. Frankly, Hobeck now as a publishing house is all consuming. And I, I you know, uh, I'm using that as an excuse to some extent, but, <laughs> as Rebecca would say. But, but I would love, you know, I was writing or have been writing uh, thrillers, I suppose. Um, yes. I mean, I think the thing cross genre. Yeah. So the book that you're, you're still working on is it is, it's cross genre. It has a bit of lots of different things, but it is a thriller in the core. Well, it's interesting because I actually based it, the structure, it's the only sort of bit of structure I've actually applied to it is actually a romance structure because at its heart is a love story between, you know, our main character, Rafe and Violette. Um, This is set in wartime, so it's 1940. And um, and that was a really good way of, of, uh, you know, although there's lots of uh, suspense elements and uh, mystery elements you know it's basically a big conspiracy that they've stumbled upon um run by the nazis uh they don't they're not aware of it and actually the sort of dynamic of the thing that you know the actual structure and where the the plot points land are points in their relationship where you know they kind of get together but they're quiet and then they split apart again because of circumstances and suspicion mutual suspicion of each other they start to believe the other one's responsible for what's going on Uh, and then eventually it sort of resolves itself in a tragic um you know 
ending where I, I've given Violette the, the, the worst decision of her life to make, you know, who lives, who dies. Uh, but you'll have to wait till it's written yeah, to find to, out. I know how it's going to end. I haven't got to that point where I managed to make it. <laughs> and a rather well-known writer has encouraged you to write, finish it, hasn't you? Well, I, I, I'm under orders now from Abia Mukherjee, <laughs> no less, to, to get it done. Um, and he's going to get a hot off press copy. Uh, yeah, and he's going to he's, he'd be the cover, you know, strap line guy. Um which uh, you know, I think you'll regret that. You'll that probably, you'll probably say, if it wasn't for me, that you wouldn't be reading this book. <laughs> like I'm to blame. You have. Uh, what have you found most difficult about um, going into publishing, and um, what's been surprisingly easier than you thought, and what's been surprisingly harder than you thought? Mm. Ooh, oh, very good questions. <laughs> So should we start with uh, the most difficult? Well, the most difficult thing is um, money. Uh, well, <laughs> I'd say I'd say for me, dealing with um, you know, I, we, we it's been difficult dealing with a big company such as Amazon. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've had as because we we're speak, just a small fish in a massive pond, and that's been quite challenging. I yeah. Think. So let's let's break that down. I mean, basically, um, any independent author will tell you or publisher will say. You, it's out of your hands. I mean, you're reliant on, in Amazon's case, you know, the algorithm saying yes. And we have lost count of the number of times we're 24 hours from publication, and it's happened to us again today, where they'll bounce something back at you and say, you're not entitled to publish this book, and we're going to strip you of your KDP status if you don't. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. You know, so it, you get these terrible threats, and then there's no one to actually physically contact and try and sort it out. Um that is really, really stressful. Mm. Uh, but that's sort of front of mind. And I said money because, um, you know, like any new business, a lot of money goes out before we start seeing any coming back in. And let's not forget that the nature of the business is that you might have a good month's sales, but you won't see that money for two months if it's in the case of Amazon. So it's delayed gratification. Um, so I think it's, it's cost, you know, the, the costs of doing a good job are higher than we first anticipated. I mean, we don't scrimp on any element of the production process, which, uh, you know, as I say, editing is expensive if you're doing it properly with good people. Cover design is expensive if you're using, you know, and then printing uh, physical copies, um, you know, is an expensive business now. And the costs have shot up in the last six months. Uh, you know, as everything has in the UK, you know, the cost of the paper and the delivery and all that stuff is, is and Brexit up. and all sorts of yeah, all sorts of impacts. So there are elements there that are tough. Um, but the things we found easiest, I mean, this kind of surprised you, didn't they? I mean, once we've got the right software, yeah, to format books, yeah. So yeah, that definitely because from a being from a traditional background and also fifteen years ago. For 15 years prior to when we started Hobeck was when I worked for a company and you you had typesetters who were in a different location and the printers obviously were in a different location and then you had the marketing department and publicity department and uh, what's called publications and there's people who issue the ISBN so everything took a lot of time and it was a lot of toing and froing so it would be typeset then you'd get a, a sample you'd say yes but change this it'd go back again then you'd get proofs proofs go to an editor they get checked then they come back to you then they go back to the typesetter you know and it was sort of this constant toing and froing where 
because we do the typesetting, if an author will say, oh, I've just found a typo, I can correct it, upload it back onto Amazon, and it's it's done, just like that. Yeah. And so, yeah, I suppose that it's the, the ease of workflow, I suppose. Yeah, I, I think the fact is that, you know, you can run, we, we're running a business from our home with basically all the technology and software and support, apart from Amazon, um, that we need to get the books out there. And it's unheard of. The speed at which we, you know, if we really chose to turn a book around quickly, we could do that. Yeah, we could do it in a couple of weeks. If yeah. we, if, if, <laughs> so, that, if that made wise, sense. It doesn't make any business sense <laughs> to do that. I mean, we probably could us doing it, but nonetheless, um, all of that's that's possible. So there's that element. And then obviously there's the um, the thing that takes the most time, which is looking after our authors and talent. Well, I mean, there's a terrible phrase we used to have it in BBC, and I hate the, hate the phrase, but talent management, as they called it, <laughs> talent. Um, who, who in the BBC are treated like gods and uh, and behave like devils. Um, as a result, <laughs> uh, no, I mean our authors, you know, just being in a position where we can not only deal with their problems but also anticipate them and also just keep a uh, a dialogue going in between the flashpoints of, of publication. So, that, you know, there's a feeling that we've got uh, a good, strong relationship outside of, you know, have you looked at the proof? Are you happy with the cover? Is the blurb right? All that stuff. Then, you, you, you know, that's harder to do the more people we take on, obviously, because you can't just pick up the phone to every author and say, do you fancy a chat for half an hour? And that's not how it works. We haven't got time to do that. But those are the elements, yeah. And something that I think um, is perhaps unique to you as Hobeck is that you, um, firstly, you have your own podcast, and secondly, that you're <laughs> recording your own audiobooks. So, again, how and why did they come about? Uh, well, the podcast we felt, I mean, it was, it was slightly inspired by other podcasts by, you know, independent people in the independent sector. Who, who, you know, it's it's really good content marketing, let's be honest. But if, if nothing else, um, we wanted it to be a showcase for the authors. So, you know, it's one guaranteed place where we could put our authors and, and bring them to the world and express, you know, let them express their uh, creativity and their, you know, the thinking behind all their books and, and express their personalities. So that was one thing. We've also been very keen to, um, with the podcast, I mean, it, it sort of has twin aims really the first being that big feature interview whether it's with yourself or with the authors or with editors or whoever it might be or guest stars um that's one thing but then of course it's the the dialogue about yeah. what we what in week to week we're doing to build and try and you know get Hobeck to where we want it to be the, the trials the tribulations and you know the ups and downs um and it's a chance to talk about the cat and Malcolm Rutherford and <laughs> well um, you know it, it's really funny that actually we sit down just before we go in and, and it's usually reasonably unplanned. We'll have three or four talking points and that's about as much as we know we're going to do. None of it's scripted. No, especially the interviews aren't at all. Are no, they? not at all. Not at all. Um, and we we will use the... Uh, it, it's It always staggers us when we come off the recording. God, we did that this week. Oh, that happened. Yeah, forgotten about that. But yeah. I mean, the interesting thing about the podcast for me is I'd never done anything like that in my life. So it came up over Christmas when we sort of thought, 
we should we could try doing a podcast and we thought we'll give it a go we might get yeah. one or two weeks done <laughs> i mean i can't i can't lie i mean i, I you know I've, I've missed using the microphone um when i left the bbc i mean i wasn't doing much of it anyway because when you're a manager it's frowned upon um even though that's my background you know i was a broadcaster first and foremost from you know since 1990 um so that was important for me, you know, to be able to get back in, in the microphone. But what's been so beautiful is the fact that Rebecca and I have a very, um, what you hear on air is an, <laughs> a total reflection of the way we talk to each other normally. So um, this natural relationship on air and the comfort we have talking to each other. I just, it's a highlight of my week doing the podcast. Yeah. On a Saturday or Sunday when I said, well, when are we going to do the podcast? Yeah, I'm so excited. Going, oh, look, hang on a second. Well, Man United are playing it too. Oh, we have to do Man's sports events. Yeah, uh, it's always, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we once did it in half time. We managed to squeeze it in half time in the Manchester United game because that was the only time we could do it. Um, and, and the other thing with the audio books uh, you mentioned, um, yeah, look, I mean, I, I'm a little bit cynical about the. Uh, the propaganda around the audiobook industry because uh, the public face the you know it's double digit growth this every year um, within the audiobook industry and it's worth x billion pounds but it's only worth about 1.3 billion worldwide the latest figures which compared to publishing is minute you know it's a fraction so I think people can get carried away with the impact of, of audiobooks. The, the problem is that there are many great things about audiobooks, but there are many great problems as well when you're making them. The time it takes, I think it staggers people how long it takes to do. Um, and it always depresses me because I've been editing this morning um, uh, one of he our has. future productions. And I've been there for sort of a couple of hours and I've only got three chapters edited and they're quite short um, because of the the level of, detail you've got to go into um to, to make sure that it flows perfectly so i've done the performance i mean i should have done it first time perhaps a bit better but the fact is that um when i'm in the studio that, that we're, we're sitting in at the moment um i'm doing several things at once i'm not just reading the the script and you know i'm doing the character voices obviously but i'm also listening to myself and trying to figure out where i've made a mistake or not got the emphasis right in a particular sentence or the accent slipped um, for, you know, which happens all the time. Um, yeah, you know, over the course of a book, a character, I hate to say it, if they're a minor character at the beginning of the book, they'll sound completely <laughs> different at the other end if I'm not careful. Um, and, uh, you know, this is a message really for Malcolm, who will be watching this, no doubt. Um, Hello, Malcolm. Um, the biggest challenge I've yet had, and I've, I've had some really, really big books, but doing the Merseyside crime series and trying to do different Merseyside accents has been, uh, uh, yeah, on a can of coke. Uh, not so easy, you know. Uh, that's, I've slipped into a very bad... Uh, well, that was quite accent. a soft one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, That was a Brookside one. level. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's very easy to sound like you're on a Harry Enfield show. You know? <laughs> hey, calm down. If you're not careful, so... Um, it's uh, all of these books are a challenge and also the other thing you've got to do is ultimately you're there responsible for interpreting the book in a way that the author wanted but also the way the listener can enjoy it mm. um, so that you sound like if they were just reading it you're somewhere approaching where they can hear the characters in their own minds because uh, nowadays of course with Amazon and um, WhisperSync like you can flick between the two. You could read 20 pages on your Kindle and then pick up the audiobook the next time and it'll recognize it and 
and play it from there. So, um, yeah, lots and lots of challenges. But from the, why do we do it? Well, I think it's a it's, it's an important for. I mean, it's a revenue stream for a start. Second thing is, it's really it makes you our books look more credible. The more audio books come out, and you can see it on Amazon available in audio as well. You look like a bigger publisher. You know, and my ambition for it would be that we would be in a position where we're publishing at the same time. Mm. We're we're not in that position now because um, a you can't guarantee it's going to be on the same day um, because uh, Audible doesn't work like that. And the other thing is that yeah, um, we have to lengthen the mm. gap between a right, receiving final manuscripts and publication to give us enough time to do the audio. Because it's got to be correct, hasn't it? So yeah. what you're reading has to match the printed. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, uh, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, well, I mean, in two years, it's pretty phenomenal. Plus, you do your own blog tours as well, which again, not every publisher does especially independent ones so i just fancied the challenge i just um i think it was uh i think it was ollie ollie jarvis he said do you do do blog tours and i thought i know people who do blog tours uh, freelance but i thought i quite fancy having a go seeing if i could you know do all the artwork and contact the bloggers myself and get it all together and I love it because I love talking to book reviewers and readers and bloggers because yeah. they're so enthusiastic and they're so passionate and they're so willing to, to do what they can to do to help yeah. you. So, yeah, well, I think you've done a remarkable, I mean, you know, you've done a remarkable job because when you first reached out with Robert Dawes. Oh, I, I, I was I was really nervous. Yeah, I was, yeah. And you were getting the door shut in your face by a, an awful lot of people, wasn't it? Like, yeah, because they'd never heard of us. So and now it's, you know, people are approaching us. No, so. I, lo I love it. When I get an email, somebody the other day on Twitter said, oh, you know, can I be added to your list of bloggers? And I, yeah. oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, please. Think, uh, Come along, join. That above all else is, is probably the biggest indicator that, you know, the two years of getting, you know, from logo design to being publicly known, that's how far we've come. Um, I, th I suppose the challenge for us in the future is being known worldwide as well. Uh, so I think we're, we're, we're in the footslopes of the UK market, but, you know, it's still a, still a battle to get America to sit up, um, let alone, you know, Australasia or any other markets that we could sell books into. But Canada seemed to like our yeah, books. Yeah, I think like, they just like crime in, in moody places in Canada, don't they? They like the mountains. So, for example, Crossfire by Terry Nixon. The Canadians love that. Yeah. And uh, they also like Sleeping Dogs by Wendy. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether it's a seaside element or they, they've got lots of ghosts in Canada. That could be. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Who would be your dream author? Who would you love to sign? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> she says... Um, <laughs> Yeah, you should, you'd like something to publish by me. Yeah, no, that's sweet. Um, <laughs> well, I tell you what. I mean, some of the, the bigger name authors that we've we've you know met now. Uh, I think Abir. Actually. Uh, yeah, Abir. After our conversation, because he's with lovely. Him, he's just lovely. Yeah, he'd be just. <laughs> it'd be like uh, plugging yourself into the mains um, <laughs> for, 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 for being re-energized. Um, in terms of wisdom and knowledge, it's got to be in ranking um, as well. You know, 
you could spend hours in his company and you you'd probably gently take the mickey and, and and put you in your place i actually think it, it's an author who's very rich owns an island and is has parties for their publisher on their island <laughs> um and, and and i think the third one um having had a riotous <laughs> interview with him when he was hung over and mark billingham, oh yeah mark billingham was also lovely amazing um, yeah as well uh so look i mean there are so many great people out there but i think that in terms of generosity of spirit, that's what you really want to sign with a big name. Someone who else, somebody who's going to give their time to the other authors and, and lift them as well. I think it's like when um, when big artists of the past were started to go back on the market. Um, so, I mean, for instance, David Bowie, I think, changed record company a couple of times and people were signing him, not based on thinking that he's actually going to shift many records um, with his, you know, latter stuff. But it was all about the impact it had on the younger bands, the mm. fact that they were signed to the same label as David Bowie. So, yeah, if you have one of those attached to, <laughs> to the company, it'd be wonderful. Yeah, and, and I think for both of us, but all of those guys, all of those people we've spoken to have made us come away feeling um, greater sense of self belief that we belong mm. and that we shouldn't feel like imposters. on. That's awesome, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get Abir to come and talk to me, but he's not replied yet. <laughs> well, we'll. Uh, I mean, we'll he's a very on. busy man. I mean, it took us a while to sort of coordinate, didn't it? So, yeah, and I think I think with um, the latest one, you know, the Science of Men, it, it's been bonkers, isn't it? I mean, the, the big feature interview in the Times mm. this week <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, I'm sure he will. But he will. Um, I won't yeah. let him get away with it. So. No. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm still chasing Simon Koenig up after Harrogate. Well, yeah, he, yeah, he owes you. <laughs> he does. I know, he knows it as well. <laughs> um, you've had some pretty awesome names on your podcast. Is there one person that you want to have on that you haven't yet? Mm, yeah, Val, Val McDermott. As you know, because you've seen us, um, she'd be there in the street in Sterling or wherever, and we're just too afraid to, to approach just, her. There she is. Oh, she's just gone into McDonald's. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, 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 it's, it's, it's not on her. It's on us. Um, yeah, because we haven't actually asked her. So, um, I think, I think she's she's high up on the list, and I would love to um, speak to, you know, a Michael Connolly or someone like that, or uh, you know, one of them, the really. Stephen King. Oh, Stephen King. Because he was so cool in that yeah. in Sterling, wasn't he? He'd be fun. Yeah, yeah. I think that you know, those mega, mega, multi-million selling authors, um, the ones who've really thought through every aspect of the business, they're the ones you want to get on there. Yeah, because we, we want their wisdom, don't we? Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I, 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 something we hadn't really mentioned when we were talking about the podcast is just how much we learn from it. Oh, every week. <laughs> um, you know, and and. Uh, as much as anything, we're trying to sort of when we're getting somebody on like Simon McLeod, how uh, whatever have you sold a million books in the space of eighteen months? How is that possible? Um, he didn't quite give us the answers, but he you know he, he said enough to suggest that it is possible. Mm. Of course, it is because he's done it. Um, we've got LJ Ross as a as a promissory. Oh yes, looking yeah. forward to that. But she's just had a, a daughter, so she's a bit busy. Yeah, after the wait until she's sort of. Gone past the first six weeks. <laughs> yeah. So maybe next next year we'll, we'll speak to LJ. And I think that's particularly special because she's done it 
off her own bat. And mm. um, she's really the, the, the you know, the, um, the shining example of what's achievable from the UK in terms of sales and building a brand and also giving back. Because let's not forget, she does an awful lot to give back to creative enterprise in the Northeast and um, encourage you know, new writing and all this sort of thing. I mean, you know, it's, I don't know where she finds the time, but, you know, she really has done amazing things and she sold 6 million books. I mean, it's just, and, and done it in a way that, you know, I like the books. I've what read or listened to six or seven of them now. Um, you know, they're not pulling up trees, but they're really well crafted and well thought through beautiful covers um celebration of the northeast particularly you know her main series and um yeah they're, they're well grounded but they they deserve the success they've had there's no element of uh she's not braggadocious there are quite a few people in the indie scene who go around you know saying look at me i've sold x amount of copies and i'm, I'm the big i am i've no interest in speaking to them you know i think people who recognize their luck and their talent and yeah. their hard work deserve um everyone's you know support and and, um, and praise really so we are going to interview and we look forward to it yeah definitely yeah she's i know she's amazing isn't she and she's heavily pregnant and doing up her house and you know you don't even know half the stuff she does have you um <laughs> have you read the everyday kindness anthology that she oh yeah no, 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 no. is in there um he is so we need to have a look. teasing <laughs> TC's in there yeah uh, we haven't looked at it yet no again another great initiative from her and we're doing something similar ourselves as you know if, um, with the dark side of Christmas from the, the Hobex stable um, you know we hope to make raise quite a bit of money for uh, for street reads up in Scotland um, uh, you know fingers crossed with that but uh, you know that's that's I think a good example of I mean, she set up our publishing house. I don't know quite how many other people are with it, with Dark Sky Publishing, but um, I, I imagine that that's going to be the next thing they, they work on is, mm, is, is broadening, broadening it to include other authors. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Um, so when you're not being parents to your boys and when you're not audiobooking and podcasting, how do you like to spend your time if you get any free time at all? Well, asleep. <laughs> well, in your case, you just sleep. That's all you've got. Um, no, I mean, I mean, if you had, if Rebecca had the time, she'd be painting. Yeah, because I painting art because that's what she's trained in, um, and has a passion for. Yeah, and um, I and I and I don't hold back in doing what I want to do. So unfortunately, I mean, I get to play golf with my kids and um, uh, go and watch sport uh, occasionally. Obviously, on telly mostly, but got a season ticket at man united um so my boys take that most of the time uh you know i think if we had more time i'd be quizzing a bit more um we watch stuff on tv what is it succession we're watching yeah watching succession and some squid Sky. game is lined up as well um. yeah a few things like that. <laughs> i watch a lot of old military stuff um you know whether it's information films for the royal navy in the 1970s on how to load your weapon um stuff like that i, I mean i just i surf youtube relentlessly i mean for me the glints of gold reading so when i'm not when i'm not reading a hobbit book yeah. reading is my um escape so yeah, yeah. reading and painting 
I think I think once lockdown's down, you know, I, I would love to spend more time just getting out to see old friends, um, having a drink, you know, every six months or something, meeting up with people that, you know, have been friends since I was a teenager kind of thing. Um, it just hasn't been possible, has it? So um, that's important to me. Uh, but if I had a, if I had a sort of magic wand, I mean, there's one thing I want to do, which I haven't done yet. It's going to see my little nephews in Australia <laughs> in January. And, um, you know, he looks bonny, but um, is it, was it January? It was May, May. Yeah, <laughs> it was May. It was spring. Yeah. yeah so spring. Sorry. Um, uh, yeah. Teddy. So that would be lovely. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, I'm lucky in that I can do a lot of the things I want to do. Uh, but Bex is, is, you, you know, you just feel uncomfortable not doing stuff. I feel guilty. Yeah. I even feel guilty reading a, like Sally, Sally Rooney in the queue. <laughs> and all of hours. <laughs> yeah. And I suppose the other thing I would do is write more because actually the reason I started writing, apart from trying to woo Rebecca, was actually I found it at the time of, I mean, I was going, th- you know, it was a classic midlife crisis in many ways, but um, yeah, I was sort of deeply unhappy on a number of levels, not least of work. And uh, I couldn't help it. I would sit at my desk uh, and this got, this got me into a lot of trouble in the end. You know, I would be writing my novel during work time. <laughs> because to be honest, um, I didn't have a lot to do. Uh, you know, that's the, that's the honest truth of it. I mean, we'd had a change of management. My, my, my new boss was a control freak, so just did everything anyway. And I was just sat there being bored. So I, I'd surreptitiously stick Spotify on slip the headphones on because everyone wears headphones in the bbc um, <laughs> you know you're encouraged to because you can't interrupt the broadcasting and um and i'd be quietly sort of on google docs knocking out a novel um you know just to keep my mind from exploding because i'd be sat in the office for 10 hours and uh you know the only interruption was somebody asking about why their career wasn't going where you know why weren't they presenting <laughs> strictly come dancing yet <laughs> you know because you're only 21 uh, <laughs> and you're not very good um that kind of thing <laughs> um i have to ask especially as rebecca is ready for to ask who is your first I know what's crush. <laughs> teenage crush celebrity, your first crush your first celebrity teenage first crush. celebrity so not that mine wasn't a teenage i was younger than teenage mm. tommy Steele. oh shut up i was <laughs> yeah so i saw him in pantomime when i was i don't know maybe 11 or so and i thought i'm gonna marry him <laughs> he, he's the perfect man he could sing he could dance he was good looking from a distance and <laughs> really? i did i wanted to marry tommy Steele. wow uh <laughs> My first... It didn't happen. No, it didn't. No, no. <laughs> but now I know this. We're not happening either. Um, uh, celebrity crush. Well, I, I, I've been, you know, I was forewarned of this, and I started thinking of some names. But then you, every time I said someone, you said who? Well, I, I'm not very good with celebrities generally, am I? It's, it's like oh, thingy from what's it? <laughs> well, okay. So I suppose my first stirring, if that's the right word, um, was watching on Her Majesty's Secret Service and Diana Rigg. <laughs> um, in a sort of negligee thing and I thought oh blimey um, that's that's a strange sensation um, <laughs> but the, the person I would have stalked if I'd had the opportunity was the actress Sherry Lungi in the early 80s who was just like in Monocle Mutineer and The Manageress and things like that but she was just I mean she still is she's stunning um, and just had something about her uh, which I loved 
but I really like Barbara Flynn in um, a very peculiar practice. Who, um, yeah, oh, she's been in loads of crime stuff. <laughs> um, you know, but she's definitely you know of the sort of British character actress sort of level. Um, yeah. But you know, hey, who am I had a crush on now? So uh, yeah, I mean, he's got a whole list. So you know, we've got a separate podcast for celebrity crushes. <laughs> yeah, I know. I couldn't even begin to to list mine now. I'd forget people as well, and that's yeah. Well, when I worked at the television centre, I used to stalk, um, you know, um, the the professional dancers, the the ladies of Strictly Come Dancing. So I think at one stage I was really Camilla Dallarup's, um shadow where you know she's not on the program anymore she's moved over to new zealand as a spiritual <laughs> kind of you know meditative kind of person coach um but yeah i used to follow her around something chronic <laughs> well they they are hot to be fair all of them even yeah. the, the women and the guys on strictly just <sighs> yeah it, it was very funny they used to um they used to gather in what's what we used to call affectionately the donut of television centers. That's the round circle a bit that Top Gear is presented from now. Um, but used to feature a lot on, you know, when they did the world tap dancing record and stuff like that. Um, I remember watching that. Yeah. So that was done in the donut. Um, but they, so the stars of the show would be gathered outside having a tab. And uh, you'd have James Jordan. A tab? What's a tab? Smoking. Oh. Bruno would come out and sort of do the old flowing, flamboyant <laughs> arms, and there'd be like Anton de Beck and a cheeky fag or whatever, or, you know, also, snifter before. Surely, if you're a dancer, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to smoke because you need oh, to. They, all, they were all oh. chain smoking. Well, I never know. Giovanni was like, oh, giving, it, giving it all that. And, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, don't you see, the thing is, um, two of my, the people I produced uh, in the past, Chris Hollins, I was his sort of kind of personal gimp, really, for a long time on BBC Breakfast. He won it, of course. Uh, and Oreo Dubo is another one um, who I know who won it. And, and I'm, I'm telling you now, even though Dan Walker really can't dance, the votes he's getting, allegedly... <laughs> He'll be in the top three. So, you know, a lot of these people have produced. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I heard all the secrets about what went on and the spray tans and we had a secret. Well, spray that, tans hardly a secret. Wardrobe <laughs> malfunctions and, uh, all sorts of, uh, and who was, uh, who was uh, let's say, uh, interacting more closely with their dance partner than, than others. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on. You're shocked. No, not really, because I don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I haven't. I've watched it this year for the. I haven't watched it for a few years, but I cried like three times on Saturday. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. No, I, I'm not usually that bad either. But Rose and when it went quiet and yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah, there's some. I mean, it is amazing production uh, and what they achieve in a very short time. These you know celebrities becoming dancers. It's amazing. I like it when they do it on ice. <laughs> I see on the side. I watched that as well. Yeah, I'd rather that than just. Well, I, I, I like the fact they die on that. Um, you know, <laughs> Gemma <laughs> Collins going down on the ice on the, uh, you know three times a week was just TV gold as far as I'm concerned. You know? <laughs> I, I really thought she was going to come out with a brain hemorrhage, but anyway, whoever she is, she's not relation. She's in um, the anyway. No. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be related to her. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. 
Well, anyway, I don't think I have any more questions for you guys, unless you think there's anything I haven't asked you that you want to share with us. No, um, it's been an absolute pleasure. I mean, you know, I say we were saying beforehand that it's it's a little odd for us to be the other side of the microphone in terms of. You know, I don't have to think questions. of a random question, so that that's <laughs> odd. No, it's been a real <laughs> pleasure, and um, you know, I know both of us wanted to say, you know, you know what you do for us, and we said this when we interviewed you. You know, you do for us and for all the other ND authors is huge, mm. um, and for the crime community, and um, you know, we're extremely grateful because uh you know there's only so much we can do um uh but without sort of the, the effort you put in and, and and others put in on on our behalf and for the passion for the subject and for the for the genres um you know we'd be nowhere so thank you no it's wonderful i then i just love how enthusiastic everybody is and they just they, you know keep that level of enthusiasm and mm. i think it is my favorite part of the day is is interacting with people on twitter or the bloggers and reviewers on email mm. and stuff and finding out more about them and what makes them tick and i love it yeah i suppose that's it i mean when things are dark and you're thinking right well you know we've gone to all this effort and it's sold six copies um not quite uh, <laughs> seven <laughs> yeah the community the community sort of rallies around and um you know that feeling lifts your spirits you know, more often than you, you sort of perhaps take you know take notice oh, of when you get people. you get an email from somebody and i had one the other day and she said another great author how do you find them well who are these people this i loved it and if you get that enthusiasm back you know they've discovered a new writer and that you know it's made their day and it makes my day that they yeah. feel that way and yeah. it's genuine and mm. sure is <laughs> so before we go would you just like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you where they can find a podcast absolutely yeah, so our main <laughs> home is, uh, our website is www.hobeck.net, uh, where you'll find uh, the podcast page and download it there. Uh, it's available on all the major platforms, you know, Apple um, and wherever else. Um, and uh, that's also the home for, you know, if you want to find out about our authors, you can buy our paperbacks there. Uh, most of our books are currently exclusively with Amazon in terms of ebooks. So, that may change in the near future. You never know. It's more they mess us about. Uh, but yeah, find out more about us there at, at our website because, um, and we've got a mailing list, which we'd love you to subscribe to uh, at www.hobeck.net um, because uh, we run competitions on a regular basis with some fabulous mm. prizes, which people love. Uh, but if nothing else, you get a chance to download Crime Bites, which is a series of stories by our authors uh i think we've got eight or nine nine is it um do you know what i've lost count well it's, it's quite it's, it's quite it's significant quite now. <laughs> now it's completely free and you get a free download of that for uh for your kindle or wherever whatever mm. week you've got um and we'd be delighted for you to sample some of our our authors and uh, learn more about us yeah and just get in touch on twitter or facebook or um email us and we're happy to answer any questions or i ought to say what the podcast is it's the hobcast book show it's where you'll find it. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you, Don. Yeah, thank you. It's been fun.